Hello and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. And we're back. We've missed talking to you for a couple of months, but honestly, the team here has been traveling hither and yon almost nonstop now that in-person events have mostly returned to normal. I hope I've had the chance to see you out on the road. And thanks to those of you who grabbed me to say that you are listeners. But aside from all that travel, let's be honest, there hasn't been a whole lot of tax to talk about in 23. As you know, most of the year was wrapped up in trying to reach a deal on the debt limit, a negotiation outside of the tax realm. But with that finally over, successfully completed, at least for now, tax things are happening, honest to goodness, real life tax developments. So we've got a couple of episodes queued up for you over the next few weeks. So settle in for a heavy dose of catching up on Capitol Hill. Today, we start with the action in the House on tax extenders. To help me explore this, we're joined by our friends, Jennifer Gray and Tom Stout. Okay, Tom, my first question is for you. What exactly did the House produce so far? I'm not talking about the content, we'll get there. But what is this thing that we got out of the House the other week? The Ways and Means Committee last Tuesday voted to approve three partisan tax cut bills. A small tax cut bill that increased the standard deduction for individuals, and then a couple of business bills, the Small Business Jobs Act and the Build America Act. And keep in mind, these are messaging bills set up later negotiations. There were no Democratic votes for this. The Democrats didn't support this or didn't participate in drafting the bills. And as a result, they don't have any of the Democratic priorities in it. But basically, the most important business provisions were designed to address some of the scheduled changes from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that would result in tax increases if they're not addressed or already have started causing some increases in business taxes. So just to be clear, then, this thing has moved through the Ways and Means Committee, Tax Writing Committee in the House. It was approved with Republican-only votes, but that's as far as it's gone. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Now, you say it has no Democratic priorities, and we'll get to this in a minute, but I think I know what you mean. I do think some of these extenders could have some Democratic support, but we'll get to that in a minute. You're correct in saying that so far, not only did none of the Democrats support it, they were pretty critical of the legislation. So, Jennifer, what exactly is in this bill? So, as Tom mentioned, they address the big three extenders that have been part of the conversation of trying to get an extenders package completed at the end of last year, which was unsuccessful. So it includes the 174 R&D expensing. This is the issue, of course, that after 2022, companies were required to capitalize and then cost recover over 60 months their R&D expensing. So this restores deductibility. It's effective on January 1, 2022, importantly. So it is retroactive and it keeps that expensing in place through 2025 with some transition rules for 2022. It also extends the EBITDA limitation on the 163J of corporate interest deductibility. That, of course, is the taxpayer-friendly calculation, again, from 2022 through 2025. Then it also addresses the 100% bonus depreciation. That starts to phase out this year, and so that keeps it at 100% through 2025 as well. Interestingly, making these go through 2025 lines them up with a lot of the other provisions under the TCGA that expire in 2025, particularly a lot of items on the individual side. So if something like this were to become law, it would create a very interesting dynamic in that regard. It includes a few other things. It repeals a Superfund tax that was reinstated by the IRA last summer. 
interestingly includes an excise tax to limit purchases of U.S. ag property by folks from China and Russia, Iran, North Korea. It also addresses some of the issues with the recent FTC regulations that were put forward, which were quite controversial. And interestingly, it repeals a number of the clean energy credits that were included in the IRA last summer, that Democrat bill that was signed by the president in August of 2022. Particularly, it repeals the new 45Y clean electricity production and the investment credits. It repeals the used clean vehicle credit and commercial clean vehicle credits, which were created new as part of that IRA bill. And then it largely reverts the clean vehicle credit back to where it was Prior to the IRA being passed, it keeps a few of the provisions, particularly some of the domestic content provisions, but it does reinstate the manufacturer limitations and phase outs, interestingly. So those are the major provisions. There are a few other smaller items, qualified small business taxes, opportunity zones, and information reporting as well. But those are the major business provisions. A lot in there. A lot of things we talked about is potentially happening last December. And of course, they did not. One thing I didn't hear you say, though, Jennifer, did I miss it? Was the child tax credit extension included anywhere in the Republican Ways and Means bill? It was not. What they did include from their perspective, focusing on families, was that they increased the standard deduction. They now refer to it as the guaranteed deduction. So that was the main item they had in there with regard to family and individual taxes. Okay, well, we'll come back, I'm sure, to the child tax credit. And I also want to come back to the repeal of those energy credits because that's an interesting angle on this as well. But before we do that, Tom, let me go back to you then. Jennifer just told us these were done retroactively. Why? If you really think of things like bonus depreciation as an incentive to do something in the future, why would they have done some of these provisions retroactively? Well, a little history is in order. None of these changes are in TCJA for policy reasons. There was no Democratic support in Congress for the TCJA, so it was passed under budget reconciliation rules. And those rules require that, among other things, that everything's revenue balanced after 10 years. So in order to retain the reduction in the corporate rate, which was the main object, it was necessary to make some changes and adjustments going forward just to make the numbers add up to get the bill through. But I think it's probably safe to say without the expectation or not without the hope that these would continue, that in fact, at some opportune moment, these things would be addressed and changed back to what everybody really wanted, which was things like expensing of research and development costs. So there was an attempt at the end of last year, 2022, to try to get these things addressed and it got caught up in year-end negotiations. Democratic priorities like the child tax credit and the EITC complicated things greatly. They wanted those done and not just a schedule of business tax changes that benefited business. And in the crush of the year-end, just trying to get everything done and getting the budget done, getting appropriations finished for the fiscal year, it just fell out. And so here we are now, considerably farther past the effective date and I think it's going to be one of the negotiation issues is whether they're going to continue to be retroactive in any kind of future negotiation with the Democrats on this. These are business tax incentives for investment in various ways. And some are going to question what good it does to provide those kinds of incentives on a retroactive basis, and maybe none. So the retroactivity is going to be an interesting issue they're going to be discussing going forward, assuming they get to this this year. 
your stroll down memory lane on how we got to this point is absolutely accurate, Tom, that, you know, Republicans were hemmed in by the reconciliation budgetary rules back in 2017. I don't think anybody thought amortization of R&E costs was a great policy. It was just a necessary evil to get that bill done. But putting that aside, even going further back in history on terms of retroactivity, there are very, very, very few instances of Congress doing tax extenders and not doing them retroactively to provide continuity. I can think of one time, I think it may have been in the 90s, when there was a six-month gap in the R&D credit. But there are very few, and it may not be good policy, but it's just what Congress has sort of always done, right? Like, they just don't want to leave a gap, and they want to be able to claim that they've always provided continuity in these credits, even when they're done retroactively and not really that useful in actually encouraging behavior. So this is kind of what they do. Jennifer, you talked about the repeal of these energy credits, raised a substantial amount of revenue doing that, and they used these as pay-fors. Now, one of the interesting things they did is they didn't repeal them all. As you said, they repealed very specific ones, many of which aren't yet in effect. They will be effect in the future. And so I think the idea was we're not going to pull the rug out from under taxpayers who may have made capital commitments in these things, but these future credits, maybe nobody has yet. So the question is, how seriously should we take this proposal to repeal some of these credits? Is this something that we could actually see getting into a final bill or no? Certainly not in the short term. Obviously, these credits were put in place by the Democratic majority in the Senate and were supported by the White House. So in order for those to be repealed, the repeal would have to be approved by the democratically controlled Senate and then signed by the president. So I think that's extremely unlikely to happen. So I think in the short term, I don't think folks are particularly worried about these expiring. But it is interesting to take a look at what the House Ways and Means Committee Republicans see as good policy potentially in the future when and if they were ever to have a little bit more control over where tax policy might go. Well, it's an interesting question. Proposing to repeal these, they surely knew these would be dead on arrival in a democratically controlled Senate, certainly with a democratically controlled White House. Do they really think they're good policy or not? I don't know. Maybe they think we should just repeal these because they're bad. Maybe it's just a convenient way to pay for this bill, fully knowing that they're not going to be enacted in this legislation. This is the kind of pay for that Republicans can come back to over and over and over again to pay for all their priorities in the coming years, as long as they know the Democrats on the other side will not accept them. So I don't think that anybody actually expected these repeals to become law, but they do serve kind of a useful purpose for Republicans. It's like the pay for that never ends to be able to claim that they've paid for things. So I don't think we've heard the last of some of these energy credit repeals. Okay, Tom, I think the question everybody is asking, where do we go from here? We've said that it has only been approved by the Ways and Means Committee. What's next, do we think, or possibly, with this legislation? Well, certainly the plan was to take this to the House floor and for this to be passed on a purely party-line basis, so we don't expect any Democratic support for it at this stage. That had a couple of stumbling blocks. Currently, the makeup of the House is 222 to 212 which means the Republicans can only afford to lose four on any given measure. And there were some Republican members in high-tax states who were not happy that in the individual part of this, there wasn't some relief from the salt cap in TCJA, which is hitting a lot of people in their districts and perhaps jeopardizing their chances for re-election next year. And there are a dozen or so of those and then there was also some discomfort from the other side of the spectrum from the, the Freedom Caucus crowd 
who are clamoring for additional spending cuts to reduce deficits and reduce the national debt. They thought it might not look too good for them to be supporting big tax cuts at the same time they're clamoring for reductions in the deficit that require spending increases. So all that being said, there wasn't time, at least before the two-week break we've got coming up starting tomorrow for Congress for July 4th, to get all the votes that are needed for this, and it's virtually the entire Republican caucus that's needed to pass it. And indeed, maybe they're not going to be able to get that together and decide at the end they don't need it since it's a messaging bill anyway. And it's not going anywhere in the Senate without Democratic support. It's unlikely that the Democratic leadership in the Senate is going to put it on the floor. So maybe they decide at the end of the day just to leave it where it is, is you know, the message that came out of the Ways and Means Committee for their priorities and leave it for whatever future negotiation we're going to see. Let me ask you, Jennifer, as a former Senate person, and maybe Tom's right, maybe it is the goal to try and pass it through the House to give Republicans more leverage when they ultimately go to negotiation at the end of the year on these provisions, maybe. But is it possible that they don't want to send it to the Senate? In particular, I'm thinking the idea of providing the democratically controlled Senate with a tax bill, a vehicle that they could then adapt for other things. Do you think they might be reluctant to do that? I'm sure in the Senate you are always waiting for the House to send you over tax bills that you could use for other purposes. Certainly. And a bit of background, of course, is that tax legislation constitutionally must begin in the House. So from a practical perspective, that means every time the Senate wants to begin a tax bill on its own, it has to go through this song and dance of finding what we call a revenue bill or some tax type bill that the House had already sent over and then they could amend it, sometimes completely stripping out the House language and putting in the Senate language. And so you find an interesting dynamic where sometimes the House is reluctant to send over such a revenue bill in order to try to prevent the Senate from doing something like that, from having the vehicle to amend it with their own tax legislation. And Certainly in situations where the House and Senate are controlled by different parties, you see the dynamic. Interestingly, sometimes even if the House and Senate are controlled by the same party, but perhaps may have different tax priorities, you could still see this dynamic. So it would not be surprising, even if this bill does go through the House, they may go through a technical process where they actually hold the bill once it passes the House and do not send it over to the Senate in order to potentially deny the Senate Democrats from having a revenue bill as a vehicle for tax legislation that would originate in the Senate. It's complicated. You know, I don't remember that part of I'm just a bill where they talked <laughs> about the House denying the uh, revenue bill to the Senate so that they could not adapt it and send it back. So it's interesting strategically how the House will move forward on this. Maybe not at all. All right. So final question for both of you. And I think this is the big question folks are wondering. What would need to happen in the coming months? For these provisions, let's just talk about Section 174, the R&E expensing rule, the 163J, the interest deductibility rule, and finally bonus depreciation. What needs to happen for these provisions to become law this year? For practical political purposes, we really aren't in too much of a different situation than when folks were focusing on trying to have these passed at the end of last year that Republicans and Democrats have to agree on a tax package that would include one or more of these three items, and then would also include some other priorities, particularly some priorities that the Democrats have, things like the child tax credit in particular, but also perhaps things like the earned income tax credit and some other tax provisions that focus on lower and middle income folks. 
they need to come to a negotiated agreement on a total tax package. And they were not able to do that at the end of the year, as Tom stated. And at least so far, we have not publicly heard indications that they're too much closer to coming to an agreement. So, Tom, back to you then. I mean, Jennifer outlined that to get a deal between the Republican-controlled House, the Democratically-controlled Senate that the White House will sign, we're going to need some negotiation around some provisions that are not in here. And that's why I asked specifically about the child tax credit. Is it your take as well that something is going to have to happen on the child tax credit, perhaps other items, to get the support in the democratically controlled Senate to get this done? Is that right? Yeah, that's clearly right. With that and the EITC, the other thing to keep in mind here is even though, as you say, John, there's a lot of democratic support for 174 expensing, there's probably a considerable amount of support for Continuing bonus depreciation, maybe not quite so much for addressing 163J and the change of the base for that. But the thing to keep in mind, too, is that been made cheap by extending them only for a couple of years on a permanent basis, which would be the intent. They'd be a lot more expensive. And quite frankly, going back again to that history, the Democrats haven't lost sight of the fact that these changes were in there only to make it possible to make the reduction in the corporate tax rate permanent, something they didn't support anyway. So the ask here is for the Democrats to come up to an agreement that actually takes away the pay for for the corporate rate cut they didn't support. So all that's not lost on a lot of the elements of the Democrats. And in terms of importance, many of them put a lot more importance on the child credit and the ITC than, than they do on the business tax changes. All that's going to make it difficult at the end of the year because they're going to have a difficult end of the year negotiation over spending where the parties are miles apart, uh, particularly in the House. On, on spending cuts that the House Republicans are now pushing that are far beyond even what was agreed to in the debt ceiling negotiations. And then we've got other priorities at the end of the year, too. Reauthorization of the FAA, reauthorization of agricultural programs. We could end up in a situation where they can't find the time to get to these tax changes that we're all focused on just because they've got so much else to do. And that's part of what caused the problem last year. When you say end of year, we're talking to those listening about two end of years, really, right? There's the September 30th fiscal year end, where many of these things, in particular government funding, will come up. But we've seen Congress do this before, right, where they are able to delay, delay, delay this thing by doing temporary extensions to get into December when we actually had a calendar year end. So those are really the two windows I think we're looking at, which is 930 and failing that getting into December when Congress is ready to go home for the holidays. Is that, am I thinking about that right, Tom? Well, the scary part of that is the debt ceiling bill that came out addressing the spending cuts also had a provision in there for these continuing resolutions you're referring to as sort of a backstop, puts a cap on that as well that begins January 1st, which certainly indicates that a lot of people fear that the end of the year, in October 1st, it's going to be sometime in December. Well, it's going to be interesting. I do believe we'll have a lot to talk about as we come up to the end of the fiscal year and, of course, the calendar year. With that, thank you, Jennifer and Tom. In closing, let's explore the question of how likely any of this is to find its way to President Biden's desk for signature. Because as both Jen and Tom said, what House Republicans have done doesn't really address what the Democrats very much want and probably need to vote for an extenders bill. And that's something more targeted at middle and lower income individuals, 
likely the child tax credit. And just like we said that most of the Democrats wouldn't necessarily object to restoring the deductibility of R&E costs or the extension of 100% bonus depreciation, most Republicans wouldn't object to modifications to the child tax credit. The hangup is how much more generous does the child tax credit need to be to attract Democratic support while at the same time not losing Republican support? And if you're hearing this and saying, John, isn't this exactly where we were last December and exactly why those negotiations never really got off the ground? Well, you're right. So is there any reason to feel optimism that we are gonna see relief on these tax provisions this year? Well, maybe. The one thing this Ways and Means bill does is it lays down a marker for Republicans. It gives them something to negotiate around. And candidly, it shows a willingness to try and at least pursue a deal. We didn't really see that last December. Now, how much is that worth? Maybe not a lot, but it is something. And it's hard to negotiate with nothing. So this bill at least gives Republicans a piece of paper they can carry into negotiations with Democrats if and when that might happen later this year. So if you've been fretting about Section 174 or these other items since the end of 2021, this is at least a glimmer of hope in what has been a pretty dark landscape. I guess we'll take it. With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, your comments, and suggestions to our inbox. Please take care, and I hope to see you soon.